0: This is Pet Life Radio. Let's Talk Pets. Rappaport to the rescue with award-winning animal advocate Jill Rappaport.
1: Welcome to Rappaport to the Rescue. I'm Joe Rappaport, and boy, what a special, unique, and very different show I have for you today. I am going to be interviewing Paul Newman and Joanne Woodward's daughter, Clea Newman, and Emily Wachtel, who happens to be the producer and the originator ...of the much-talked-about new HBO Max series, The Last Movie Stars. You've had to have heard about it. It has been on every show. Everybody's talking about this. It is the story of two of our greatest Hollywood legends of all time, Paul Newman and Joanne Woodward. They were our royalty. And Ethan Hawke is directing the Six Park series, which I have to tell you is magic. It makes you cry, it makes you laugh. The movies, Butch Cassidy, The Sting, The Color of Money, it goes on and on. And what about Joanne Woodward, Academy Award winner, Rachel Rachel? She was so unbelievable. Everything she did, every movie she did, was pure perfection and magic. And we don't have stars like them today. That's why this title is so fitting the last movie stars. They really were and are. And it's so incredible to look at this series and realize the impact of their careers, not only on the big screen, but the type of people they were off screen. They were the most unbelievable humanitarians long before celebrities were giving back in that way. As you know, they started Newman's Own, which was unbelievable at the time to come up with this idea. Paul Newman put his face on salad dressing, lemonade, all of these wonderful products, and they had the organic line. And at the time, everybody thought, wow, he's the face of all these things in the grocery store. Well, guess what, folks? They've given close to 700 million and a billion dollars back to charity. This was something that was unheard of back then. They have always been about philanthropy and giving back. The most unbelievable couple. That's why I said when I watched it, it was happy and it was also very sad because we long for people like that again to look up to. And they are true Hollywood royalty. So when we come back, Clay and Newman, Paul and Joanne's daughter doing a rare interview. She's a very private person, but she will be here on Rappaport to the rescue and the originator and the producer Emily Wachtel and I have to tell you, you people know this is all about rescuing animals. Here's the connection. This is why I saved this for the end here. We did a book together in 2004, my New York Times bestseller, People We Know Horses They Love, and benefited Pegasus Therapeutic Riding, which at the time, Clea Newman was heading up. And that's how I got to know Clea. And through Clea, she introduced me to Paul and Joanne, I have a picture with them. I got to interview them. I did the last exclusive interview, sit-down interview with Paul and Joanne, and it was unbelievable. Literally, they hadn't been together in a sit-down in decades. So that's how my relationship started, through our love of horses. And because of that relationship, I then got to know Robert Redford. You see how it's all six degrees of animal love separation. So when we come back, Clea Newman and Emily Wachtel, Stay tuned. Spanning the, planets. Spanning the planets. You've landed at the Pet Entertainment Center of the Universe. Alert the paparazzi. This is Pet Life Radio, the ultimate animal adventure. Welcome back to Rappaport to the Rescue. I'm Jill Rappaport. You heard in the open how excited I am for our next guest. This is so unbelievable to me to think that we are almost 20 years ahead from the time we were all together for the book people we know horses they love with me now is Claya newman and emily Wachtel, and i told my listeners in the beginning that we met in 2003 can you believe this Claya, emily so great to see you and it's so great to see you. So
2: fun. I cave it's been twenty years. How could how could that be possible? When you think about you, it you're just you're seems like yesterday.
1: <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> and you know this show is all about animals and rescue our relationship started because of all of our love of animals and actually emily was the one that gave you the nudge clay to do the book because when i came up with the idea i wanted it to benefit and support a really important group and you were involved with pegasus therapeutic riding and emily was the one that said you should do this she gave you the nudge and we met and because of that relationship your parents were there, Paul and Joanne, for the photo shoot, which was unbelievable at your stable with your beautiful horse. We got to see how this organization helped these children and what they did. And we raised a substantial amount of money through the sales of this best selling book. And that's how our relationship began. But I have to tell you, for me, just to be able to get to know you girls and then your parents that are true. Hollywood legends. It really was a pinch me moment and continues to be one.
2: Oh, Aww. That's so Gosh. Well, We had a lot of fun doing it though.
1: Didn't we? And you were talking about all the philanthropy. You inherited that from your parents, Clea. They were all about, and I talked about this in the open of the show, giving back, taking care of people, understanding the need to give back. And all of you, all of your sisters have inherited that give back charitable gene
2: that's absolutely true i
1: mean it well
2: mom and dad always said you have to find your passion and if you find your passion it will feed your soul you know even if it's not necessarily your job if you find your passion the thing that you love you know like you with animals and you know it's true it just feeds your soul and it makes you better just in general you know what i mean it just makes you feel good
1: we were talking about not only the legacy of your family and what your parents have left behind their careers, their charitable organizations and what they work with starting Newman's own. But now to see this incredible docu-series and Emily, thank goodness for you because you had such an important role as the originator and the producer, the last movie stars. First of all, every time I turn on TV or pick up a newspaper or look at a magazine, everybody has given this rave reviews. I have watched- <laughs> Yay! I have watched the six parts three times, okay? Because I wanted to see another clip again or I didn't hear the sound bite clearly enough. This is truly a labor of love. And Clea, as the daughter, tell me what your feelings are seeing this now come to fruition. You know, it's been a really emotional journey.
2: It's hard, you know, it's it's hard to see all that old footage. It's makes me miss them so much. I mean, my dad, it's almost weird to me because when I I binged watched it a couple of times, I felt like I spent so much time with him that I almost felt like he was still here. I, it's hard to describe, but and I even the first night I binged watched the whole thing, I actually had a dream about him. And I yeah, I it was yeah, it was just it's been it's been an extraordinary journey, and i, I mean, doing it with my best friend—it's it, been—and Emily basically grew up with us. I mean, I grew up with her family; she grew up with mine, and you know, we spend a lot of times choking up and and getting teary a lot.
0: Yeah, we watched the last episode at the film forum last weekend when when Ethan was there, and and, and also my other Ethan Hawke, the director. Sorry, Ethan Hogg, the direct, the marvelous genius, seismic director. <laughs> and and Lisa Long Adler, who was my partner in Nook House, and Claire and I held hands and sobbed through episode six. And then once we started crying, it kind of couldn't stop. It was just the waterworks of all these years. And I have to say one thing about going to the family and saying, you know, we need to do
1: this. It's a lot of responsibility, you know? Yes. Yes. I mean, you're it, it's one thing, you know, making a film, you know, where you bring the right. stars That's and you want to do thing. the best job in the world. Yeah. This is their lives. This is their legacy. Right. And I was,
0: I have to say, I was terrified. Because not only, you know, it's always scary when you make a movie, but when you're making them about your best friends, family, and a family who's responsible for, they are responsible for me being a filmmaker. They inspired me. They they gave me my taste, I feel like.
1: Well, Emily, so much credit goes to you. For this, because you don't, we've been talking over the years and you actually didn't remember that years ago you were telling me about your dream know, so to amazing. create this series. You said you have come across all these amazing pictures and footage and you said, I've got to do something with this. And I remember, and I said, you've got to do that. And so much of your heart and soul is in this. It is such a labor. We, but I'm so happy. It was a lot of stops
0: and goes, you know, until we, I just thought of ethan Hawke because i was having trouble finding somebody who cared who knew believe it or not who had the regard and respect that we all do for the newmans you know because people have short memories now with all the social media things come and go really fast and i thought if we could get an actor who directed they would have the respect and the regard and and he did i mean it's amazing the he came on board right before COVID. And had to deal with us. And, and had to deal with
2: <laughs> us. and you know, all of you know, there's a there's a lot of us too. So, you know, a lot of us daughters. So a lot of women. A lot of women. And and he just kind of jumped in with both feet. And I mean, I give him all the credit of the world because he was so devoted to telling the story, the real story, and not sugarcoating it. <laughs> well, not not only not sugarcoating it but also not kind of glamorizing it either. It you know, right. really it's just so he said he wanted to
0: dismantle the fairy tale in order to have real to build up the
1: real fairy tale, you know. You know it's interesting. My sister, award-winning photographer Linda Solomon, who was also the photographer for our book People We Know Horses They Love, got to get that plug in. She said that it made her so happy watching it but also very sad. Sad in the respect that she said we don't have stars like this today. No. It really made her. It, it. She was depressed at the end. She said, oh, "Oh, there's no Paul and Joanne." And and not to diss the incredible talents we have out there today. In fact, so many are in and play the voices. I mean, Laura Linney's incredible, George Clooney's incredible. But to my sister and so many people like that, and myself, we miss that Hollywood royalty in every respect. It really doesn't exist today.
0: No, even the Academy Awards are are very different, right? I mean, it's just different. And part of that is the pandemic. Part of that is the constant social media. The the platform keeps changing of how you even do movies or how you watch them. We were very fortunate in that the pandemic made everybody go to streamers. And, you know, Ethan was working and he thought 90 Minutes was basically like a trailer of the Newman's Lives. So he, which Which I thought, which we thought. So he said, can we do... You know, what do you think about doing a series? I was like, I've always thought that it would be a series. I didn't we could do a whole now I have people calling saying, Are you doing another season?
1: <laughs> I wish you would. I could watch this forever. <laughs> we could, we could. Or we could do another season. And, and Jillian would have a nervous break. Uh, yeah, I think he yeah. <laughs> Emily, you should direct
0: the next one. The reason I didn't direct it, there was a couple reasons. One, I had the family to answer to anyway, and but I have a very special. I'm not objective. You know, I'm not, I have a very specific paternal maternal relationship with them and the family. So I wouldn't be able to be objective. And I saw the footage. I mean, I, what happened was I was looking at the footage and I saw the family with Lawrence Olivier at the pool. And I just thought, <laughs> are we just going to throw this all in the garbage? Like there's, yeah. Gina Lola, Brigida, like photographing Paul in the river. It was just,
1: bananas. It was so beautiful and so fun to watch. And they were so gorgeous. It takes your breath away. The physical is too much, but then what was so interesting, what people didn't realize. And also you have to educate a whole new generation that did not grow up with this Hollywood royalty. This is a whole new society that thank goodness we have this docu-series that can learn about these legends. But when you see their acting credits what they accomplished, their roles, and that Joanne was the big star. Starting out, she was the one with the Academy Award, right, Clea? Absolutely, and
2: she, you know, she was the one who kind of created his whole persona, which is—that's, I think, the one of the most
0: important things. In such the an film.
2: extraordinary part of this of. Of their whole journey together. And I think, uh, you know, I don't have children, but I have a lot of godchildren and I am very close with, you know, I mean, you know, I'm the ambassador for Serious Fun Children's Network, all of our camps, you know, for seriously ill children all over the world. I'm surrounded by kids all the time, which I adore.
1: You've taken over that legacy for them. Well, that's my
2: main focus. But what I was going to say is I am even more just enamored by the fact that my mother and and ethan tells it so well is how she kind of inherited three kids from her husband's first marriage had three children of her own i mean by the time she was 35 she had six kids yeah. i mean um, to think about and, that and, and, just... and she had a career and she had you know a husband who was just coming into like mass celebrity success. and success and you know, I think myself. I don't how how did she do it. I don't know how she did it, and not and she still continued to, to be work. a good
0: friend and knit us sweaters and oh my yes, God. You know, she's always knitting and, and needlepointing and, needle and, and and cooking and she's amazing and she
2: was sewed. I mean, she used to sew us all those dresses. Oh she yeah, the velvet dresses, dresses for all from everybody and like knit everybody's sweaters for
1: Christmas and whatever Sense- and. It, and you just think about it, like, I don't know how she did it. How did she do this? She was so ahead of her time with her feelings as a woman, as a career woman, as a mother. And also one of my favorite, and if I get the quote wrong, but I loved your mother's reaction. I think somebody said to Paul Newman, you know, you never stray. Why is it? And it was something like, well, why would you go off for hamburger if you have steak at home? I might, I might not have that exactly right. And she, back then, decades ago, Everyone thought, oh, isn't that sweet? She was furious. Didn't she say, how dare you say that? And I'm a vegetarian. I'm not a piece of meat. (laughs) That was the thing. Well, she basically said, like, I'm not a
2: piece of meat. And she made a joke out of it and said, I'm a vegetarian. But but no, she was horrified. I I think that was was one of
0: those things that he probably goofed.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Well, tip. I mean, you know. Nothing against him. But, you know, like he was very old fashioned in some ways, you know, and he was still a product of his time. And I think he thought he was saying something really, you know, kind and, you know, just how much he loved her. And yet her perception of it was like, what are you kidding me? I am not a piece of meat. Uh, the one thing you know, that's not which, one thing, which I understand one right? thing that's. will
0: do one thing. That's sorry, sweetie. One no, thing that's sorry. not in the film though. Yes. He did say he made mistakes, but he did something early on. That's not in the film, which is when Julie Andrews did torn curtain with him and Alfred Hitchcock. He made sure she got the same amount of money that he did because Alfred Hitchcock in the transcripts said that that damn Paul Newman, he cost me a fortune because he made he made sure that Julie Andrews got the same as him. I mean, but I mean that was a long time ago. And for women, right. I mean, you know, was
2: always equal always
0: and founding, equal. founding, you know, first artists with Sidney Pottier and Barbara Streisand in 1970, you know, forming a production company with a black man and a Jewish
1: woman is really ahead of his time, you know? He was so ahead of his time. And they even made reference to Gore Vidal, one of his closest friends back then, you know, a gay man. Like Paul and Joanne and living in that house with all those great actors. You saw Roddy McDowell and Shirley MacLaine and they were all roommates. And I just wanted to live with them. I watched that footage. I said, oh, I would do anything to be living in that house. But Clea, as their daughter, you know, what I also loved about this series is that when I say didn't sugarcoat, you dealt with real serious situations. You know, they talked about your father and his drinking situation. They talked about, you know, the relationship issues when they did have them, you know, dealing with career highs, career lows, and and nothing was left out. It was a true portrayal of this amazing couple that happened to be your parents. Yeah.
2: Dad always said that he wanted to dispel the myth well he didn't always say it but he said it in the transcripts which was interesting to all of us and uh, he
0: said he wanted to straighten out the records
2: okay <laughs> that was verbatim but but i think i think it was important to again you know it show somebody's journey through the hard times and you know where they ended up in the end was extraordinary i mean the fact that their relationship had some extraordinary highs, some really devastating lows, and they were so dedicated to each other. I mean, talk about showing somebody, their daughter, how to live a relationship. It's
1: hard to live up to also.
2: (laughs) Well, it's hard to live up to, but it also showed that, you know, just because times are tough doesn't mean you walk away. I mean, there are certain circumstances where that might be true, but for them, they were, they loved each other so much. They were so dedicated to each other that they, you know, that they worked through the hard times. I mean, the fact that dad went to therapy with me when I was in my mid twenties, you know, to work through some stuff with him and then, you know, stayed on and, and worked through more stuff on his own. I mean, that just shows you how, like he, he always wanted to grow. He all, so did my mother. I mean, with their career, with their understanding of their family, understanding of the world. I mean, they wanted to be current. And and, and they had the opportunity to do that. Well, they had the opportunity to do, but they fought for it, which yes. is, you know, which is really important. It's incredibly important. And as their kid, learning that, you know, and being reminded of it now through the documentary again, you know, it gave me a big kick in the ass, honestly.
1: Pardon
0: me. I'm not sure. I'm, I'm just that. so relieved it's done. <laughs> oh, I'm so <laughs> relieved it's out there and that people And can- so
1: beautifully received. You know, sadly, he lost his son, Scott, which totally changed his life forever. And I always felt that the one movie to me that seemed to exemplify your dad the most was Nobody's Fool.
2: I knew you were going to say that. I totally agree. And I, and, you know, with Pete and Henry, his grandchildren, mm-hmm. unless he's boys- it gave him a chance to, you know, kind of do it over again, you know, be present, be there. He was to improve. Yeah. (laughs) I mean, well, no, but I mean, he was, and he was like that with everybody. He got a second take. Yeah. He got a second take. He (laughs) did two. He really did. And he used that opportunity to the ninth degree, to the 10th degree. I mean, he really did. And he did it with his kids. I mean, he did it with me. He did it with his grandchildren. He did it with me. He did it with me. He did it with Emily. I mean, he did it with my... I mean, he was just... He was so present and engaged with his philanthropy. I mean, it was an incredible kind of like 180, from his previous, you know, kind of lifestyle and all the craziness and whatever, to this amazing present, he evolved. Yeah, he did evolve. And you know what? And my he, mom said that in that interview. I remember like, him. He, so, yeah, he evolved. Which yes is true. they did. They grew. They, they grew up together. They grew up together.
0: But I just remember him saying toward the end of his life, saying, "When you finally figure everything out, you're out of time."
1: Oh that's so true and you know what is it like though as their daughter i mean i would imagine there were times growing up when you have parents that famous that revered that loved
2: pressure you and i talked about this This is why i never became an actress right
0: i just have to say one no, thing and absolutely. you can ask you can answer it you know i, th- I think i don't know I, f- I don't remember which interview it was maybe it was cbs this morning but they said oh you know the kids each of these kids are so talented in their own way and people don't they're just they're not striving to be known or famous but like clea is an extraordinary horseback rider no is, you know, an incredible scientist and inventor and all things nature. And Lissy is an artist to the night. And people don't know that. Her. And Steffi is like, a, a draw, you know, also an artist. Yeah, they just, they don't know. But these kids are all exceedingly
1: talented in their own right. But it is interesting that the and children of two superstars, two legends, really are not involved in the acting world and kind of almost intentionally stayed out of the limelight. Yeah, I mean, I think
2: that when you grow up in the public eye, you know, and you you don't have a lot of privacy growing up. I mean, God, I don't, I seriously don't know how kids of famous parents now handle it. I mean, I, I can't even imagine. It must be so much worse. But right. at, social I, media, yeah. But at the time, you know, it you don't really look to engage in that more. You know, it's like, you, you get enough of it. You get enough. They had tons paparazzi of i I never forget. Like trampling you to get to your parents. Like at a certain point, you're so like, weird. yeah, I don't want to do that. <laughs> I remember. <laughs> like, I, have
0: to, that. <laughs> I have to tell you, I would go over to their house at Christmas, you know, and there would be this huge mountain of presents from strangers, you know? And I remember thinking that, like, that's when I started. I met Clay when I was two, so I didn't really understand the whole celebrity thing, except I started seeing things like that, you know? And- It was just a weird reality. You know, also people would walk into your house when we were little, like we'd be (gasps) swimming in the pool and say, is Paul Newman here? I mean, it was.
1: Oh my goodness. That is crazy. Yeah. You didn't have security guards then, right? He never had
2: security guards. Never.
1: When we did this book, not only were they at the photo shoot, but remember, we did an event at the Big Apple Circus and your dad was known. It was in stories for years and decades that he would not sign autographs, like never ask Paul Newman to sign an autograph. So clearly I was not about to do that. But meanwhile, I've written this book and you and your family are the highlight, the focal point. And we're sitting there doing a book signing. Your dad was so damn funny because he was watching me and he was so nice to me. You know, I was like a nervous wreck just sitting there two feet away from Paul Newman and Joanne Woodward. And people are signing the book, signing the book, and I'm smiling at him and he goes, all right, give it to me. And he grabs the book and he signed one for me. And when I ended up doing an interview with your mother, we set the interview to be about the Westport Playhouse. And we were going to do a whole interview about what she was working on at the theater there. She said, would you mind if Paul sits in? And I said, would I mind? And, you know, we're rearranging the chairs. I believe that the last sit down interview with your parents and it was so magical. And I was so honored when Emily told me it made it into the documentary, uh, a portion of that interview. It was unbelievable. Did you see it? I did see it. I, I, yes, part six for all of you getting ready to watch (laughs) this incredible series. Don't miss the beginning, (laughs) but they were so funny. Your mom tells a story how, you know, they were at their agent's office. Your agent had him come in and I said, what did you think when you first met him for the first time? She went, yuck. She said that he came in with a seersucker suit and slick hair. And I thought, oh, she was not attracted to him and their relationship It was truly that interview, meeting them, getting to know you and your family. Honestly, I feel so incredibly blessed. So I can only imagine as their daughter and as a family friend, Emily, this project is really a dream come true for both of you. Uh, I would say it's a labor of love. But honestly,
2: Emily is the one that has been absolutely the sacrificer of this entire project she has worked on it for seven years
1: unreal and to finally educate today's society younger people to let them know who these people were and are and you know we should mention your mother is still alive you know joanne is still here thank goodness what happened in 2007 clea i can only imagine that she had been diagnosed back then with dementia and nine days later They told your father he had terminal cancer?
0: Yeah. It seemed like he didn't want to be around if she was, you know. It kind of, in a weird way, happened the way it should have, you know.
1: I don't think he could
2: bear the loss. And honestly, when he passed away, I feel like her illness, it kind of jolted her illness in a way. It's hard to describe. She, I think the loss for her was so overwhelming that, you know, her Mind kind of shut down a little bit, and it's funny because it's not the case now. But that initial, I'd say, for the first two years, it was almost unbearable for her. I mean, she just didn't want to be on the planet, you know, anymore. She at all, and it was, it was really, it, it was just heart wrenching being around her. She just didn't want to be here.
1: And you know, it was about a year later that your dad passed away, two thousand eight, nine months, nine months, and. Clea, you told a story that literally brought me to tears that your mother at the very end really did not go into the room, kind of stayed away. And then when she decided to go in, tell us what happened, because that was just chilling. You know, we had
2: all been with dad, but she, I don't think she just, she didn't want to be there in the end. You know, I don't think she could like just emotionally handle it. And yet we were walking around the living room and she just looked at me and she said, "I, I need to go to him. And it was weird. It was just, it was almost like, you know, this cosmic thing that happened. And she walked in and just grabbed his feet and he took his last breath. And um, yeah. As if he was waiting for her. Yes. He was waiting for her. He was waiting for her. And, but that was always the case.
1: Yes, it was so obvious, that relationship. I thought it was so beautifully portrayed in Mr. and Mrs. Bridge, you know, their last project together.
2: Yeah, I know. And that's the hardest part about the very end, you know, when she gets stuck in the car. I shouldn't say anything. Spoiler people, alert. Spoiler spoiler alert yeah, for somebody who hasn't watched <laughs> don't,
1: don't, don't, don't. Yeah. Yes, yes. But these scenes are so real, in real life, what they've experienced. And Clea, can you communicate with your mom now? Is she at all aware of what's going on or that even this project came to fruition? Yeah, it's interesting. She is totally mesmerized by it. <gasps>
2: I saw her yesterday and I thanked her.
1: And Emily, you didn't get enough credit. I've been talking about Emily Wachtel to everybody. Well,
0: I just want to say something. Adam Gibbs, Ryan Hawk, Lisa Long Adler, who's my first partner. Nook House. The production company that says Nook House is based on that sign at the Newman's house with the, right. with the cow that says, you know, Nook House. That's been there for over 50 years. So it it takes a village, but I'm super glad that we found Ethan and it, it was yeah. a godsend and that he put up with us. And you know, <laughs> <laughs> I have to tell you, I raised a little bit of money initially. It seemed like material was coming out of the wall. Like we literally all these incredible pictures and you know,
1: and then the transcripts, which were that was really wild because I knew about that. What's so incredible is that Paul Newman had done all these interviews and he had, I guess it's Stuart Stern. Is that correct? Yes. Oh,
0: yes. Stuart Stern
1: wrote Rebel Without a Cause, Rachel, Rachel. He was a big writer. Right. So he went around and Paul said, I definitely also want you to interview my ex-wife, Jackie. And he had done all these interviews, which yeah, would definitely. have been in real voices, real people. And then one day he decided, I'm sick of talking about me. And he burned them.
0: Right? Is that the story? He took them to the dump with Nell, and he burned them. <laughs> the truth is, they were in the not the truth, but they were locked in a laundry room in a cabinet. And I was looking for stuff for the movie
2: in an old file cabinet. In an old
0: file cabinet, uh-huh. and I I couldn't open the file thing. And I but then I was like, well, they shouldn't have a file cabinet that's locked anyway. So I went. And I, we called a locksmith. The locksmith. <laughs> Came and then, all you know, pulled out and I see Ilya Kazan, like Tom Cruise, George Roy Hill, and then the pandemic happened. So I literally brought like boxes and boxes and boxes, and they were covered in dust, you know, and just started reading. And I mean, I spent all my days of the pandemic reading these great, and I, who love movie history, was just riveted.
1: You know, the one thing I did pick up on from your parents immediately, they did not want to talk about themselves. You just got the feeling that they were over themselves and they just wanted to be good people. And that's what makes this series so important and so beautiful. This project is a message for all generations. It teaches us how to handle fame, what legacy really means, and our obligation to be more than just involved with ourselves and stars. It's about giving back and really being better people.
2: Well, thank you. And I and also I think the additional thing is, is that just because you're, you know, 50, 60, 70 years old, that doesn't mean that you can't continue to grow and do exciting stuff and and explore your craft even deeper or whatever you're doing in your life. It, it doesn't have to stop. And I think that that is something that is even more inspiring not than anything else, keep Um, evolving, just keep evolving, you know, and it's, that's something within their craft, their philanthropy, their relationships with their friends, their family. I mean, it continued to evolve and grow. And that, that's an extraordinary. They had an
0: appreciation, you know, know, for, I'll tell you something, Jill, there was uh, clay and I always said when, when Paul, like the last week he was alive, he was sitting in his wheelchair outside And either you or Lissy were rubbing his feet and and he was in such pain, obviously, but he looked around and he said, it's been a privilege to be here. And I just remember thinking, if it were me, I would be like, where's my meds? Where, you know, I need to like, and it was just amazing that even through all that pain and suffering, he was able to see the real.
1: And you girls all around him. And the other incredible message from this is what an amazing support system and how incredible Joanne was to her stepchildren.
2: It's very funny to me that she was considerably judgmental about her mothering, her ability to be a good mother. It used to make me almost a laugh because I'd say, like, Mom, like everybody considers you the super mom, <laughs> you know. It's just as she would say to me all the time, like, just show up. It's like she really showed up. She showed up no matter what, you know. Yeah. She knit us all gifts. She like, I mean, everything was personal and thought through, and she drew. She used to draw when Emily and I used to travel with her when we were little. She would draw paper dolls. Remember paper dolls? Yes. I'm dating myself. She would cut them out. She was such a good artist. She would draw these paper dolls and then cut them out and make all the clothes with the little tabs, you know, that around the shoulders and everything to make the clothes fit. And those were the toy. Those were the things that we used to play with when we traveled on the train with her.
1: Unbelievable. And what were they like at home?
2: You know, I'll tell you a funny story. So, I had an old roommate of mine years ago came over for a dinner at our house, and dad was cooking burgers, and all of us were running around getting food out and whatever. And as we were driving back to the house, she looked at me and she said, Are your parents always like that? And I said, Always like what? And she said, Always like, you know, that like holding the hands, like kissing, whatever. And, you know, we were. Probably in our, I was in my, probably my late 20s, you know, so my parents were, you know, my dad was, I don't know, 67 and my mom was, you know, probably 62. And I said, you know, yeah, actually they are. And she said, do you know how, how unusual that is? And I said, no, actually I don't. But that's how they were. I mean, they just, You know, mom was always coming up behind him and like rubbing his shoulders and like kissing the top of his head. And dad always had his arm around her and they were like holding hands all the time. And that's just the way they were
1: always. It was a true love story. Yeah. I remember talking about it with Robert Redford. We got to do the photo shoot with him for the book right after I said, I never saw anything like this. He goes, tell me about it. You know, really, everybody knew about this great love story. It was the real deal.
2: I know. Well, and you know, too, that mom was the one who suggested Bob for, for, Butch, Cassidy. for Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid.
1: It was your mother who said he should be the one?
2: Mom was the one who said, all these other actors, they're not going to be as good. Bob is going to be the perfect Sundance. And dad fought for it. They didn't him. want him in the beginning. Well, in the beginning, they didn't, you know, they, they wanted, I who did they want? They wanted Steve um, McQueen. Steve McQueen. There
0: was a lot of people.
2: And so they fought for it with the studio, but mom was the one who came to dad and said, Redford is the one that should play Sundance with you.
1: So he will forever be indebted to Joanne for his career. That is an incredible story, unbelievable. Yeah. And Clay, I know in one interview they asked you what was the best thing you inherited from your dad, and if you had to say what you got from your parents, both of your parents, what would you say that would be?
0: Um, can I say? Because she can't, yes, I can say it as her best friend. She's non judgmental of people. You know how George Roy Hill. It was amazing when I read his transcript, and he said you could rob a bank. And Paul would say that it was wrong to rob the bank, but if he was your friend, he was your friend for life. Yeah, Clea is very much like that. And that—that's from her dad's side. From her mom's side, your mom had that Southern charm thing that was so yummy that she never gave herself credit for. But everybody, she lit up a room, and
2: you have that. And Clea, you also inherited their love
1: of animals.
2: You know, I was really lucky because I found am, animals very early on. Yeah. You know, my my family we always had lots of dogs and cats. Oh my God, and six there's dogs. great
1: footage in the series with all the animals. When you were young, you see dogs running everywhere, those horses. Yeah. Well, but we were
2: like, but it was a little bit like a menagerie. Um, You know, we used to joke about every time we'd show up at the airlines, you know, every one of us had two (laughs) carrying cases and they would look at us and go, oh Christ, it's the Newman's again. (laughs) (laughs) But it really, for me, finding animals and finding riding and, you know, it really grounded me. You know, we've talked about this a million times, you know, relationships with horses and like complicated dogs that are, you know, have had a a tough start to life that you, you know, that you either foster or rescue. It teaches you a lot about yourself. It teaches you to be the best you, because when you have a great relationship with a horse or a great relationship with a dog or a cat or whatever, you know, is your thing, you know, you feel very honored and privileged to
1: have that relationship, or at least I do. Oh, absolutely. And your dad would like look up at you and this horse, and he was in awe and he loved that you were so talented as an equestrian. We were both
2: very competitive, you know. And you know, dad always wanted to be athletic. I always wanted to be athletic. And, you know, I I was always kind of a little bit of a hack and I mean I was good at some things. I mean, I've always been a j- little bit of a jock, but when I found horses, as when dad found racing, I just felt like this was my thing. And my relationships with horses are, I mean, I didn't get married until I was much o- older, right? And, no, no, and,
0: you were not that old. I was well, much no. older.
2: <laughs> I was like, I have my AARP card by the time I am married. We're doing it anyway. But it's well, but I will say that, you know, I used to joke about the fact that who needed to get married when I had Meteor, which is my my Grand Prix horse. I was like, you know, he's the be- he's the best man on the planet. Like, you know, he loves me no matter what. He saves my ass every other day. <laughs> you know, it's like <laughs> and it's true. I mean, and he only died probably Eight years ago, he was in his late thirties, and he was—he was eighteen hands. Oh he was, my goodness! He was literally the most like a was, wall. <laughs> he was the kindest, sweetest horse, gentle giant, gentle giant, and yet the most competitive. I mean, he was amazing.
1: And on that sweet animal note, I want to thank you both so much for being here. This has been such an incredible joy for me to catch up with you today. And again, I cannot stress enough please tune in to The Last Movie Stars on HBO Max. You will love it. You will watch it over and over again. And Emily, you got to do more. There's got to be more archives. I'm sure if you go through that filing cabinet, (laughs) There's got to be more. Please, we want more. Me too. Well, there is.
0: There's a ton of other stuff, you know. Oh,
1: breaking news. And I am so happy that all of you joined us today for this incredible discussion. I'm Joe Rappaport, and this is Rappaport to the Rescue.
2: Let's talk pets every week on demand, only on PetLifeRadio.com.